every once in a while, I read a book that just sticks with me between the characters and the writing and just the overall experience of being part of those lives for that short period of time. And The Knock at the Door is one of those books. I recently read it and I happen to know the author. She's a local woman and she is someone that has inspired me over the years as well as has her family. So today I want to introduce you to Ryan Mannion. Ryan has dedicated her life to supporting our nation's military, veterans, and families of fallen heroes. She is inspired by the character, leadership, and sacrifice of her brother, First Lieutenant Travis Mannion, USMC, who made the ultimate sacrifice in the Al-Anbar province of Iraq while driving, drawing fire away from his wounded comrades on April 29, 2007. Ryan is the co-author of the newly released book, The Knock at the Door. Three Gold Star Families Bonded by Grief and Purpose. Serving as the president of Travis Mannion Foundation since 2012, Ryan leads a national movement focused on assisting veterans and families of the fallen to take the next step in their personal journeys and inspiring the next generation of leaders. As a highly regarded advocate for the military community, Ryan has been invited to address national audiences on numerous occasions, including Good Morning America, CBS This Morning, CNN, The Today Show, Fox News, and many more. Carrying on the legacy of her brother, Travis, Ryan continues to lead a life of service to others. This was most notably recognized in 2015 when she was selected to receive the President's Lifetime Achievement Award for Volunteer Service. Ryan served on the advisory committee at Arlington National Cemetery and remains committed to their mission. As a leader in the veteran nonprofit sector, Ryan serves on the advisory boards of the Global War on Terror Memorial Foundation and with honor. Some additional accolades include 2018 Bush Institute Stand to Veteran Leadership Fellow, 2018 Sage Foundation Charity Pioneer, 2017 United States Naval Academy Honorary Graduate, 2016 Hill Vets 100 List. 2014, Joseph D. Helton, Junior Award for Leadership, and 2013, Hillay Ignite, Warrior for Warriors Award. Join me as I interview Ryan. We talk about her book and all things about the Travis Mannion Foundation and her experiences with adversity and re resiliency. Hello, friends. Welcome to this episode of the Second Phase Podcast. I'm your host, Robin Graham, a personal branding expert and photographer. I am so excited you are here with me today to chat all about personal branding and life in the second phase. What is the second phase? The second phase for me was a change in careers and learning how to navigate a new world and build a business from the ground up when I was terrified to put myself out into the world. For some, the second phase is a significant lifestyle change. No matter the definition of your second phase, we are here together to learn about creating a personal brand that stands out and makes an impact and grow as our authentic selves and follow our callings, our passions, our visions, and our values. Wherever you are listening today, be sure and pause for just a minute and leave a review. Your ratings and reviews are what help the word spread about the show. If you find the information presented in the podcast helpful, please share it with friends and others and leave that review so that others can find us too. Now grab your cup of coffee or the dog's leash and let's dive into a new episode. Welcome to the Second Phase Podcast, Ryan. Thanks so much for having me. Well, I am absolutely thrilled to be, for you to be here. And before we even dive in, I just have to say how much I have loved the knock at the door. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate that. So, Ryan, you had a degree in English, two successful businesses, including a clothing boutique. You were in your 20s, living a great life. And then with a knock at the door, your life as you knew it was swept out from under you. Will you tell us a little bit about that experience and how that has 
basically transformed your entire life to lead you on the journey that you've been on for the past many years. Absolutely. Yes. I was an English major in college and um, I thought originally in college that I wanted to be a teacher. I, I did some student teaching, which is kind of the last element in uh, getting your teaching degree and realized that it wasn't what I thought I wanted to do. And so my senior year of college, I decided that I wanted to open a, a small business. I wanted to open a clothing boutique. That was always a, a passion of mine. And um, I knew exactly what I was going to do when I graduated. By the time I graduated, I had already taken out small business loans. I'd already located the first uh, location for uh, my store. And um, I was really excited to just start being an adult. And I entered into that world um, not knowing too much about running a business, but I've always been somebody that kind of eats up um, knowledge and I read books and I uh, looked online and I talked to other business owners and I found myself a year out of college running a successful small business and I loved it. Uh, and I was married uh, the following year and had my first child the year after that. and. I was really in a place in my life where I thought that everything was kind of all the pieces were fitting, if that makes sense. And um, I was excited for what was happening and I really didn't see myself doing anything else. Then, as you said, I, I received the knock at the door that my brother, uh, who was serving as a Marine at the time, um, had been killed in Iraq. And that really changed everything for me. Um, I remember I actually, the day my brother was killed, I was signing the lease for a second location uh, for my store. And um, after he was killed, I had to kind of pick up the pieces of his loss, but move right back into what I was doing. And, and that's what I did. So uh, it was about three months after his death, I had opened up a new shipment of stuff that, of clothes that I had um, purchased out of the show in Las Vegas. And I remember there were these new designer jeans that um, I was so excited to bring into my store. And I opened the box and something that previously had brought me so much joy, you know, before Travis's death, I would have been beyond excited to, to be doing this. And as I was sitting there folding the jeans, I just felt nothing. And I realized in that moment that I no longer had a passion for what I was doing. And I really didn't know at the time what I was going to do, but I knew that it wasn't this. And so within the next six months, I sold off both of my businesses and uh, walked away from it completely. Wow. So there's so much to be said for that, because when something happens, a major life event, it can, it can push you in two different directions. One, at that moment in time, you can make a decision to push through and, and just keep going as you're going, or you recognize that it really changed and transformed your entire being. It did. And, you know, they, they always say that when there's like a life changing event, you shouldn't, you shouldn't make any like drastic move within the first year. Um, I didn't follow that advice. Uh, we moved from New Jersey to Pennsylvania um, because I knew that I wanted to be closer to my family. Uh, I changed my life's profession that I thought I was going to be doing. And, um, but for me, that's what needed to happen. And, and I don't, I don't look back at that and, and regret any of it. It was what I needed to do to move forward. Um, and, and ultimately, you know, his death really was the catalyst for me to say, what brings purpose and passion in my life? And, and to really evaluate that in a bigger way. Um, and so originally when I left, uh, my small businesses, the first thing I thought was that I needed to serve. And, um, you know, I looked at my brother and all of these men and women that were out there serving and sacrificing each and every day. Um, I, I wasn't, I wasn't, uh, in a place where I was going to join the military, but I actually took a job with the government and I was working for HUD and in my head at the time at, you know, 27 years old, I thought, you know, well, if you can't serve in the military, you work for the government, that's a sense of service too. I, I found out pretty quickly that it wasn't, that wasn't the answer for me. It um, wasn't so equivocal. I did that for about, <laughs> it wasn't equivocal. No, not at all. Um, 
for about two years. Um, and, you know, at the same time uh, that that was happening, right after Travis's death, my mom had started a nonprofit in his name, the Travis Manning Foundation. And my dad and I and my husband, we very much saw that as a, um, a labor of love for my mom, for a woman that was grieving the loss of her only son. Um, but we really saw it as nothing more than a family-run memorial fund that would, you know, do some good stuff in the local community. And so as I was trying to figure out what my life was going to become, what I was going to do, my mom was taking this small memorial fund and really growing it to something um, pretty large. And so when I was trying to figure out, okay, I'm working at the government, I'm not feeling a sense of purpose here either. Um, and I was struggling a little bit with what my identity was at that time. Um, my mom decided that she was going to be hiring an executive director. And so I actually applied for the position. I didn't tell anybody, I didn't tell my parents I was going to apply for the position. And I put my resume together and I sent it into careers at travismanion.com. And I always say, I, I I think there might have been a little nepotism involved, but I did get get the position. <laughs> and so I joined my mom and I joined my mom at the Travis Manning Foundation. And it was in that instant. I mean, that first day that I walked into the office with her, I knew this was what I was supposed to be doing. And um, it was the first time after Travis's death that I really felt like, OK, this is where I'm supposed to be. It's almost like you you came full circle. Your emotions had you had to go through all of those obstacles of of really i guess dis rediscovering yourself absolutely and and i don't i don't regret any of the decisions i made you know i don't regret closing the boutiques i don't regret working for the government for two years all of those were catalysts to lead me to to working alongside my mom and in the organization in late 2009, early 2010. And, you know, I, I joined as the executive director of the Travis Mannion Foundation, but um, I was very clearly Janet Mannion's assistant. Uh, she was a hard driver who was always making um, grandiose plans. And, and her ideas were the type of ideas where you, you know, when I would hear them, I'd say, well, that's not going to happen. But I kind of followed her lead. And so I worked alongside her for about a year and a half until she was diagnosed with cancer. And um, she was diagnosed with stage four cancer, given eight months to live. And she worked every single day up until the last month of her, her death. And, you know, about eight months to the day that she was diagnosed, she passed away. And that was another wake up moment for me. It was another knock at the door. Well, what, what comes next? You know, I was lucky to be with her for that year and a half, kind of as a pr apprentice, I would say, watching what she did. Um, but I, I did not feel prepared in the slightest to not have her leading the organization. And a couple weeks after her death, our board of directors, um, announced that I would become the president of the Travis Manning Foundation. And it, nothing scared me more than taking on that responsibility because here was this organization that was named after my brother. So you have that tremendous responsibility to make sure you uphold his legacy, but it was also an organization that was built by my mom. So I, I felt like I had shoes that were way too big to fill. Um, and people ask me a lot, like how I got through that time and, and, and what I did to help run the organization effectively after her loss. And I say, you know, the first thing I did was I hired some really smart people um, to help, you know, work alongside me. And um, uh, each and every day I've been there since now. I mean, it's going on 10 years. I've been at the organization. And every time someone says to me, um, wow, look at, look at this organization that you've created. I'm very clear to say, I didn't create this organization. I'm just helping move the ship along. But it truly was my mom who um, built it into what it is today. You know, I still remember when Travis died, I, you know, living in the same community. And I remember when your mom started the foundation and 
there was this sense of awe that I had that this woman and at the time, you know, my kids were little, so I, I couldn't understand the gravity of it. But I knew that if I had lost, you know, one of my children, my world would just end. And right. I remember watching your mom and the very first race, the 9-11 run, Heroes Run. Mm -hmm. And I just, I, I ran the race with my two boys in the, in the jogging stroller. <laughs> and <laughs> I, I just will never forget that race and the emotions that were tied to it. And you just mm -hmm. felt like, I mean, just, you know, basically as an outsider, I mean, I knew your family because I knew, you know, Chris and Susan and, and the kids and everything, but, and I knew of your family, but just watching everyone be involved and the power of emotion that was just, you could just tell this was going to be something. It wasn't just a one and done. I just remember your mom speaking at those first few races uh -huh. and yeah how thought provoking she presented her words and just everything about it had just drive and success and passion and everything behind it that was to where now I see the organization and, and where you have now taken it. And it, this character, like, I think that is one of the biggest words that comes to my mind is just the character that surrounds it. It's, it's like this entity all in itself. Yeah. Well, it's funny because we're actually going through a very strategic process uh, right now for, you know, 10 year predictions on uh, our strategic growth over the next 10 years, because, you know, where we are today, we're a multi-million dollar nonprofit that uh, provides services in all 50 states and uh, engages hundreds of thousands of people each year. but the um our consultants were working with deloitte and they uh did our first session with our board and our our senior leadership and they said so what is it about travis Mannion foundation um you know that that you think people gravitate to it like what they were trying to identify like what is that piece and i and of course they posed the question to me and i said you know i i wish i could articulate in words what it is but i think it's just a feeling and it's a feeling you get when you're around an event that we're holding, uh, when you're around individuals that are so deeply committed to serving with our organization. And I said, I know that's terrible wording for, for consultants, but like, it's, it's a feeling. It's a feeling you get um, mm -hmm. that there are just people out there that want to give and to serve and um, to, to remember the legacy of the men and women who serve us. And I was going to share with you at that first 9-11 Heroes run, that run we held, um, it was, you know, held, uh, about, we, we came up with the idea just weeks before it was my uncle Chris who said, let's do a 5k run and we'll name it the 9-11 Heroes run. 9-11 was approaching and, and instead of, um, you know, we'll, we'll do it to honor all of our, our first responders and military. And it was such a grassroots effort. Literally, my little cousin drew um, a, a folded flag on a piece of paper, and we typed up 9-11 Heroes Run around it and printed it off on a home computer and went around our local town, sticking it in bulletin boards in stores. And that first race, we had like 500 people show up. And I remember being in awe of just that that first event, like, wow, I can't believe all of these people came out for this. And afterwards, it was my mom, she came up to my dad and I. And um, my, my mom said, you know, this was incredible. And this, I want this 9-11 Heroes Run to be the Susan G. Komen race for the cure for our military and first responder community. We should have one of these in every city and state across the country. And my dad and I, who were a little <laughs> bit more you know, pragmatic. We're like, well, how about we just try to get a thousand people in Doylestown, Pennsylvania next year? And, <laughs> but you look at like, I'm glad that she was the one driving the ship because if it was my dad and I, we would have been very singularly focused on small growth. But here we are today in, in 2019, we had over 90 heroes runs across the world and we brought out you know, close to 70,000 people for these events. And so, you know, that vision 
that she had 12 years ago, I mean, she was on to something. And, um, and that's a lot for what I do is like, I'm always reflecting back on things she said, when I look at the growth of what we're doing today. Well, you have to wonder, and I'm, I'm kind of crazy like this, but I always believe like, you know, my father died not long after your mother. And just, I feel like they have a presence, like they help drive us forward. Like somehow they're, they're there and they're constantly making sure that whatever they, poor thoughts they had or foreshadows they had, they're going to make it happen. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, like she's I, a little whisper. 100%. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And she, yep. she was so strong. I mean, it, it just, I love that she had that vision and she was, nobody was going to convince her otherwise. And sure enough, it's all happened. It, it has. And, you know, the nice thing about it is that when she passed, we were in a place where all of our all of our initiatives and our programs uh, were, were pretty much set at our organization. So the cool thing about it is that when she passed, we just began to scale those at, at, at a faster and more elevated pace. But, you know, if she's looking down right now, what she sees is all of the initiatives she, she set up. You know, not much has changed in the way that we, we strategically do things. And that for me is so important, you know, as we grow larger as an organization, you know, it's, it's, it's hard when you have that kind of responsibility when it was this small family endeavor. And mm -hmm. now I have 60 employees across the country and they don't know about the first 9-11 heroes run. You know, they don't have that insight. They think they're entering a business and this is what we do. And, and I'm always very quick to kind of pull them back in and say, hey, you know, you have to understand where we started. And, and that was a large part of why I wrote this book. Because I wanted people to understand my story, my path, my journey, and not just um, look at me as the person I am today. Uh, I, I oftentimes have people who say like, wow, you're so strong. How do you get up and speak in front of so many people? How do you do, talk about your mom and your brother without shedding a tear? And I need them to understand like that's a process. And I didn't just wake up the day after my brother passed or the day after my mom died and said, okay, I'm going to go out there and tackle the world. Um, that's not how it works, you know? And so I wanted to kind of shed down that persona that, that I felt existed and kind of show people uh, the real me and the journey that one takes after receiving the knock at the door, however, in whatever form that may come. You know, I love that you brought this up because when you were, when you were describing your emotions and your reaction to Travis's death in the book, I mean, you, and I think every single human goes through a different response and has different coping mm -hmm. mechanisms. But I would love for you to dive into that a little bit because it wasn't smooth sailing for you. It wasn't. I mean, there was, you know, when, when Travis was initially killed, it was a, it was shock and complete and utter um, disillusionment. I, I couldn't understand that he was dead. And that initial process was, you know, a month or two where it was just waking up every day and crying uh, until I cried myself to sleep at night. Um, and, you know, I found out very quickly that I had to start setting goals for myself, no matter how small they were. But um, I talk a little bit in the book about my journey through deciding to run a marathon um, the year after his death. Uh, my co-author talks about, you know, when she lost her husband, her small goals were going to the social security office and uh, updating paperwork. And that was like the one thing that she would do that day. But she set that goal. This is what I'm going to do today. And she'd go home and she'd fall back to sleep. And the next day she was able to do, you know, maybe a little bit more. But it's about setting those small goals and being very focused on not what next year may bring, but what tomorrow may bring. And I think, you know, as you deal with a devastating loss or a life altering change, um, you, you can't look too far ahead in the beginning. You have to just look at, okay, what are the things I'm going to do today to make myself better for tomorrow? Well, and you, you went down that path of training for the marathon. And I love the story of when 
and I can't remember now exactly what you were in Annapolis for, but you ended up doing the morning workout. Um, yeah. was, that, was that the day that you were moving, Travis? No. What? That was actually Travis's, it was his 10 year anniversary. Okay. That's what it was. I loved yeah. that story. I mean, not that you went through what you went through after, but I, I was like, oh my gosh, she and I are a lot alike. Like that's exactly what I would do. I would want to take on that pain and have those experiences to say that, you know what? I can do that because I'm strong no matter what had happened, you know, in the interim or whatever. But I love, tell that story because I just, I love how you, you got right in there with them. You did that incredible workout. Yeah. On having a little bit of fearless ignorance and it, it been good to me in some ways. It's also not served me in some ways, but I'm, I'm the type of person that I will jump into things, not having all the information and, you know, really researching. I'm just like, yeah, let's do it. And so on this particular, um, this particular day, it was actually uh, Travis's 10 year anniversary and um, a bunch of his friends and our family were coming in from all over the country to meet at Arlington Cemetery and, and toast him and just spend time together. And um, it was just uh, the year before that they had CrossFit uh, has what they call um, hero wads. So wads are workouts of the day. And uh -huh. every day CrossFit has a different wad. But these hero wads are specific to uh, their workouts named in honor of fallen service members. And, um, and so they had just recently named a wad after Travis. It was called the Mannion Wad. And the, the guy working at CrossFit who had put it together, who had put the workout together, actually wrestled with Travis at the Naval Academy. So he made this one very specific to a leg workout. My brother's legs were like tree trunks. He was super strong in the lower body. And so it was, um, and he did it based off of his date. So it was 4-29-2007 was, was the date of his death. And it was um, 400, you would run 400 meters, then you do 29 back squats, and you do that for seven rounds. And, um, and you were supposed to have, you know, I don't know, I think women were supposed to have, or men were supposed to have like 95 pounds when you did the back squat of weight. And so they were at, down in Annapolis, and the, the midshipmen have a CrossFit gym there at the Naval Academy, and they invited us to participate in the WAD. And my brother's friend who was with me, who served with him in the Marine Corps said, well, why don't we just show up? Maybe we'll partner up and like split the wad in half. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm, I'm doing this. I'm doing this entire wad. And he's, <laughs> and he's telling me, well, you're an idiot. Best of luck to you. And so we get there. And I mean, again, just like when I ran the marathon, I decided to run a marathon and I hadn't run a mile in so much as like five years. I showed up at the wad knowing I was going to have to do seven rounds of 29 back squats. And I don't even know the last time I did one squat. Um, so I show up that day and, and there, they, and, and I was prepared to just do air squats, you know, but then everybody has a bar on their back and I'm like, well, I'm going to put a bar on my back. And so I said, Oh, I just won't put on any weight. So I just grabbed the bar and we start doing the wad and I didn't really feel it. Like I was just in the moment, you know, and I'm, squatting and, and I just loved seeing all these young midshipmen there knowing that Travis had gone to the Naval Academy and seeing them doing the workout with me. Um, it was just so exciting and, and I loved it. And afterwards I dropped the bar and I, I honestly, like, I think as soon as I dropped that bar, my legs started seizing up. I'm like, Oh my gosh. And the one guy turned to me, he's like, wow. He's like, I can't believe you squatted with the bar. I'm like, Oh, I didn't put any weight on. He's like, well, the bar is 45 pounds itself. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay, I guess I should have realized that. You know, it was just like the adrenaline thing. I didn't even notice what I was doing. And um, I barely was able to walk home. Um, and I was in terrible pain. Um, it's probably too much for your listeners, but it was even hard for me to sit down to go to the bathroom, just having to bend my <laughs> legs for a couple of days. Uh, but, you know, it was that pain that reminded me like, you know, anytime I do something that seems, crazy hard or unachievable. Like I always think of, of my brother and I think of the things he did and there's nothing in this world that I could do 
that's harder than the things that he did. And so that kind of puts everything in perspective for me. Yeah. And I loved that. I love that you told that story and the reason you told that story, because it is so much about putting life in perspective and fueling your passions at the same time. You're passionate about making sure that Travis's legacy lives on and you've done a remarkable job doing that. Thank you. I appreciate that. And, you know, I mean, now I go back every year and I, I do the Manion Watt every year, but now I know the pain that's coming. Um, and so it's not as enjoyable because I kind of go to the gym and I, I'll show up and I'm like, oh, I know what comes next. So <laughs> that first time I did it was the best time because I didn't know what was to come after. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, okay. So in the book, you state that the key to resilience is setting intentional goals. And you touched on goals a little bit ago from the perspective of setting those small goals to even just do one thing a day so that you can keep moving forward. But when you talked about setting intentional goals, I loved your take on it that it requires fearlessness and passion, but it has to have intentionality. And then you had like three different examples and you talked about how, um, you had to learn to be comfortable with silence, peace, and presence. And then you talked about the, the chisel versus the back camera, using both and versus either or, and then failure being a bruise, not a tattoo. And I would love for you to expand on those three thoughts because I, you know, you hear people talk about these things a lot, but your examples were so relatable. And I loved how you, not only summarized them, but you really put, you know, a lot of thought into how you described them so that anyone who's going through any type of adversity could apply those, those skill sets or those goal setting regimens to their life. Yeah. Well, you know, I talked a little bit earlier about setting those, those daily goals. And, and for me, um, the goal I took on was running a marathon. I didn't think about it before I decided to do it. I just said, okay, this is what I'm going to do. Um, and it, it served me very well. It was what I needed to do at the time, but there wasn't a tremendous amount of intention or thought behind why I was doing it and why it was important for me to do. And a lot of the reason that I did that and, and I did other things in the first year after Travis's death was in an effort really to keep busy. Because I felt that as long as I kept going, as long as I kept myself busy, then I was going to be able to survive this loss. Uh, and it wasn't until I actually slowed down that I was able to process my grief. Uh, and that was a really eye-opening time for me. And I found that, you know, in order to set intentional goals, you really have to evaluate what you're doing in your life, what steps you want to take, and what's going to drive you to get yourself there. Um, and you have to be comfortable with this idea that not every day is going to be a, an all out sprint, you know? And, and um, for me, it was a little bit, you know, I, I, you, you touched on, and it's my favorite quote of all time, um, failure is a bruise, not a tattoo. And it's so poignant because for a long time, I, I let my failures define me. And when I talk about failures, I don't talk about them in a, in a grandiose idea of I failed at this big thing, but it was little things that I found my found that were setting me back. And I would let little things affect me to the point where it would cripple me and I wouldn't be able to move on. And so when I learned that each day, and again, like each day is a new day. It's a new chance for us to wake up and be the best version of ourselves. Um, and and that, that quote still remains true today. There are days where I feel like I've been a horrible mother. I've been a horrible wife. Um, I've been a horrible coworker. But I also know that tomorrow is a day to turn that around. And so I never go to sleep at night feeling like, I failed. I go to sleep at night knowing that tomorrow is a new opportunity for me to, to be the best I can be. I love that. It's like the most sound advice you could give to anyone. 
because I think when you're going through anything, any form of adversity or, or just daily life, like you said, you know, you think some days, oh, I'm the worst mother. I mean, I totally forgot to pick my daughter up from lacrosse practice the other night. So, you know, <laughs> thinking, oh my gosh, so I that really makes have. me feel good. <laughs> <laughs> I really have become the worst mother out there. And, okay. you know, but I think you're so right. You cannot beat yourself up about that. You have to just look at it as, okay, now, I did this. It was a mistake, but I learned from it. And now I'm going to move on. And that brings me to another one of the, the, my favorite things that you said in the book was that your failures do not define you. And that, you know, life is just a series of, of failures and successes. Yep. Yeah. And, and it took me a while to realize that. Um, and it was, I won't, I will not sit here and say I learned that on my own. It was, it was stage advice that someone had given me that, you know, if, if you look at your life as a, as a series of successes and failures, when that failure comes, um, it's, it doesn't hurt as bad because you know that the next success is right around the corner. Um, our life is a series of ebbs and flows. And if we look at it that way, um, it, it changes perspective for you. Uh, yeah. There were times where things would happen that I would say, you know, um, okay, this is it, you know, and, and even looking at the cosmic loss of, of Travis and my mom, you know, I very easily could have pulled the blankets over my head and said, I, I don't want to live anymore. Like, this is not, you know, this isn't what I want to do. And, um, you know, I knew that. I owed it not to just myself, but I owed it to them to, to continue moving forward. And the best way that we can honor those that we have lost uh, is to be the best version of ourselves. And that's honestly what I try to do each and every day. Yeah. And it, it's a great example to teach like, you know, your children, my children, our children, our future generation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I'll say, you know, one of the biggest battles I have right now uh, internally in my family is I've got two, two girls. Um, I have a little boy too, but my girls are 11 and 13 and my work is incredibly demanding. I travel a ton and, you know, and I, I feel the mom guilt daily. I have, you know, the, my daughters who say, um, Oh, you're going away again. And, and it's something that I can't explain to them. I can't, you know, but, but I look at it 10 steps ahead where they're going to come to the realization one day, it may not be tomorrow, it may not be next week, but they're going to open their eyes one day and say, wow, look at what mom was doing, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of what I hold on to. Um, I actually just took um, my oldest daughter, she's 13. I took her on a service expedition with our organization, uh, with a group of veterans and families of the fallen to Puerto Rico uh, last week. So it was the first opportunity for me to like fully expose her to what mom does. You know, she's at yeah. a lot of the events, but to say, hey, I'm taking you to Puerto Rico where we're going to serve uh, families that were affected by the Hur Hurricane Marina, Maria and the most recent earthquakes. And you're going to serve alongside other men and women who have lost their loved ones in service to their country. And it was such an incredible trip. And it was, it was one of those where I was like, yes, this was. This was one of those successes, you know, where I feel like I'm failing every day as a parent with, with my travel. I was able to actually take her with me and have her see this is what it's all about. And so um, that was incredibly rewarding. Oh, yeah. And I think, you know, you have to give yourself that grace, too, that at least when you're there and you're with them, you're present with them. Even though Absolutely. you're gone, you know, you're Absolutely. gone, you travel, but at least, you know, when you're there, you're, you're there and you, you're yep. with them full heartedly. And I think that, I think it's great to be able to be a mom that can, can do everything you're doing and be such an incredible, inspiring example for them so that when they grow up, they're going to put forth such positive energy into the world that they might not have otherwise had the opportunity to, to experience or understand how to do that. Absolutely. It's funny because my, my oldest daughter at one time had said, well, what, you know, when I grow up, I want to run the foundation. And I said, yeah, that sounds good. I'd love for you to do that. And my 11 year old daughter said, I don't want to run the foundation. I want to be on the board. So then I can fire Maggie. 
And I thought, you're a smart kid. <laughs> true sister leader. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, and so true of the oldest and the, and the younger, because the oldest is going to have the ideals and then the other one's going to come in and just cut her off at the knees. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh, I love it. That's fantastic. Well, Ryan, I would love for you to talk a little bit about the foundation because we've talked a little bit about character and, you know, Travis's character and you carrying that legacy through and, and how that really is the foundation of Travis Mannion Foundation. So I would love for you to tell sure. a little bit more about what the foundation does, who you serve and how you serve them. And I, I really love the part of what you guys do with going into schools and the character building. And my son, when he was at LaSalle, because my boys went to LaSalle where Travis went, um, he was one of the students chosen to be one of the leaders in that program. And that was, he ran the Marine Corps Marathon with you guys too at 17. Oh, wow. And, um, oh my gosh. So that was, you know, he's, he's had that experience um, from that uh -huh. side of the organization. But I saw how it affected him emotionally as well as personally or, you know, physically in terms of his, uh -huh. his willingness to, to sacrifice, to train and, and do all the things he's done. So I would love for you to just touch on the foundation, what you do, and especially that component of character building. Sure. So, um, you know, in the most basic terms, we're an empowerment organization. We're veteran serving. So... Um, we serve veterans and families of the fallen, but we're also really kind of led by what we call inspired civilians, you know, individuals like your son who are out there wanting to be a part of this, of this movement. Um, and the initiative you speak of, I mean, we do everything from um, strength building seminars for veterans. We do service expeditions for survivors. Um, we, we touched a little bit on our 9-11 Heroes Run race series. We do um operation legacy service projects all across the country um but our it, arguably our biggest initiative is called character does matter and we actually train veterans to deliver character education to our nation's youth so we have um a few thousand veterans that have actually gone through character education training uh, and they are out there in schools and with working with youth groups across the country doing everything from one day presentations where they come in and are just really talking and sharing their story, talking more about what it means to live a life of character to running full blown um, character and leadership courses that can last anywhere from one week to 12 weeks where they're working with cohorts of students, teaching them really in depth um, lessons about character development. And, you know, to date, we have worked with uh, and presented the program to over 350,000 students across the country, your okay. son being one of them. Yeah, that's remarkable. And it's so important for, I think, it, you know, we live in such a world where kids are seeing so much animosity from, you know, the government, the people in homes, you know, criticizing the president or just any form of, of government or leadership. And I think it's mm -hmm. important for kids to be taught that it, to be a person of character, you don't have to tear someone else down. Absolutely. And, you know, the coolest thing about the program is that when veterans are, are leaving active duty, 55% um, of them say that they feel disconnected from their community when they're acclimating back back to where, you know, the towns and cities that they're going to live in. And I would say 95% of them still have that sense of service just embedded in them. They want to continue to serve. And so we want to give them the opportunity to take off the uniform, but continue serving right here at home. And on the flip side, one out of three kids in today's world do not have a positive mentor influence in their life. So you've got this group of individuals in our military that have been taught the, the ideals of what it means to be a servant leader, what it means to live a life of leadership and service and uh, distinguish themselves and by their character. And what a great opportunity we have as a nation to ask them to come back, take the uniform off and 
help our next generation put those principles into practice, not in a way to indoctrinate kids to join the military, but just to say, like, listen, it doesn't matter what profession you choose. You know, what's important is that you commit yourself to, to being a man or woman of character, no matter what you do. Yeah, it's so empowering. I, I just love it. I, I think it's so amazing and so fantastic. So I have to tell you, one of my favorite quotes from, I mean, so much of what we've talked about already was part of the book. And, but one of my favorite quotes was at the very end of the book when you said, good begets good, that pain is halved when shared and joy, joy shared is doubled. And I just did not do that quote any service, but <laughs> you, get, you, get, you get the gist of it as I stuttered through it. But I love that. And I love that back to the book, you and, and Amy and Heather combined your efforts and your stories and your passions for helping other people survive adversity and become resilient and go through life in a positive way, no matter what the experience that they've been through is. And I think that you know, saying that, that when you go through something and that experience is shared, the pain is cut in half. And then of course, joy is doubled when you have that opportunity to do it together. Yeah. And you know, our, our community is made up of a lot of people who have served and sacrificed and, you know, and a lot of their backgrounds are, are sad stories. But when we come together as a community, I feel like we're unstoppable in what we can do. And, um, and that was just, you know, kind of me sharing a little bit more about what, what that looked like and what our community looked like. And I think, I think it's true for anyone, but, um, you know, we found that, you know, we, we can't go through this world alone. And um, it's all about building those positive relationships and making sure that you have those people in your life that you can turn to. And, and we always say at the Travis Manning Foundation, if you don't have them, you know, join our ranks because we'll provide them to you. Oh, that's beautiful. You know, we, we all have, you know, when we learn of someone in the military that has, you know, experienced a trauma, they've, you know, become an amputee or they've died and we, our hearts go out to them. But I think the military families are often forgotten. And I love that the book brings so much attention to what happens after this person dies. Like they die, but there's so much life still to be had. But how do the people move forward? And I think it was Heather's experience living on the base and how, you know, ultimately she, she just had to leave there because they weren't her people anymore. And I would imagine that sense of, of loss, you, you lose the one you love, but you also lose that identity of who you've been when you were with that person. So I, I think the book is an eye-opener for a lot of people who just really don't understand or I guess don't recognize what the families of military personnel go through alongside the people that are in the military. Yeah, and I think it's important for us to understand that, you know, really, again, one of the biggest reasons that Amy, Heather, and I wrote this book is that you know, our story didn't end with our knock at the door. Like that's kind of where our story began. And, you know, when you, when you hear stories of, of men and women who have lost their lives in service, and if you're, if you even do get a glimpse into the families that are left behind, a lot of times that glimpse is just in the immediate aftermath. You know, it's the image of the, the widow holding the folded flag or yeah. the funeral possession, procession. But you know, what we wanted to show is that what comes next and, you know, Amy and Heather, they talk a lot about not feeling sorry for them. You know, don't take pity on us. Like we, we want you to know that we're strong and resilient women and, and this is the journey we've taken and, and we want you to understand what that looks like. Mm -hmm. And I think they did a beautiful job of, of sharing that. Oh, they absolutely did. And I just got chills when you were saying that because they really did a beautiful job. All three of you, the book is hands down. Listeners, you have to read this book. It's so good. And it is, it's, you know, Ryan and I were talking beforehand. It, it really is a quick read. It, it appears that it might be deep subject matter, but it's a quick read because these women have so eloquently written their stories and they just bring you in to, to that life and to their experiences. So I highly recommend the book. 
And I will put the link to the book in the show notes so that everyone can access it easily. So Ryan, we're coming to the end of our interview now, and we usually end our interviews with a book recommendation and a favorite quote. So do you have a book recommendation for the audience or the listeners, and do you have a favorite quote? Well, I'm going to be terribly biased in my book recommendation, but um, my book recommendation would be my father's book, uh, Brothers Forever. Uh, which actually shares the story of Travis and my co-author's late husband, Brendan, who were roommates at the Naval Academy and are buried side by side at Arlington National Cemetery. And if you haven't read The Knock at the Door for yet, I suggest you read <laughs> Brothers Forever and then The Knock at the Door. It's a little bit of the sequel, The Knock at the Door. Um, so that would be my, my book recommendation. And then... Um, Again, biased in my favorite quote, but it is uh, what my brother shared before he left for his second tour of duty to Iraq. And when asked why he had to go back, and his response was very simple. It was, if not me, then who? And that has become a staple phrase. Like that, yes. it's just, you know, when I know definitely around Doylestown, but we travel quite a bit and we have seen people with the t-shirts on around the country. And I think it was in Italy, actually, we saw someone with a Travis Mannion Foundation t-shirt on. And it's like that phrase will forever be in our family. And, you know, sometimes we change it. If not us, then who, you know, as, as right. we're experiencing something. But, and I love in the book, you talk about the Hickson family. And I think, well, I'm not going to say any more about the book. Listeners, you have to get it because it's just so good. <laughs> so, <laughs> Ryan, can you tell the listeners, like, if they want to connect with you or learn more about the foundation, how do you suggest that they do so? They can learn more about the foundation at travismanion.org. Uh, you can go right online and join our mission. You'll learn about different opportunities that are um, available to you where you live in your region across the United States. And, um, and you can also go to ryanmanion.com to learn more about the knock at the door and um, the speaking opportunities that I have across the country. And you can also follow us on all, you know, Travis Mannion Foundation and myself, we're on all, all different social media platforms too. Under those names, right? Under those names, correct. Yeah. Ryan, thank you so much for being here. I really enjoyed this interview. Thanks so much for having me. And that's a wrap, friends. Thank you so much for listening today. I am grateful to have you here with me. Before you go, have we connected on Instagram yet? If not, what are you waiting for? Find me at the Robin Graham. It's Robin with a Y. And take a screenshot of this episode and tag me in your stories so that I can find you too. You can also find me on Facebook at Robin Graham Photography and on LinkedIn as Robin Graham. I hope you'll follow me in those places so that we can stay connected and I can get to know more about you as well. And remember, if you found this information helpful or think a friend might enjoy it, please spread the word. Until next time, remember to smile. <laughs>